This is JV here. This is part two of two of my interview with Arlen Schumer about the Twilight Zone and other pop culture issues. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. It's JV here. Of course, this is part two of my two-part interview with Arlen Schumer. We're talking about pop culture influences, but particularly the Twilight Zone and how important that television series not only is was to TV, but has been to all these other issues that we talk about on the program. You'll find references to ghosts, to aliens, to cryptid creatures, and more in the Twilight Zone. And it all started in 1959 with Rod Serling. We're going to uh, bring Arlen back in and continue that interview right after this. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a Shark and save. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Getting back to some of these episodes that we have on our top lists. Uh, you know what? Our right. chat rooms have been throwing episodes out ever since we started talking about this. Uh, you mentioned, Bring them on, baby. You mentioned William Shatner, and uh, there are two great William Shatner episodes. One, I would say one or the other is probably going to show up on most people's lists. But the one Neither that... of them are in my top 25. Really? Even and the, yet, the Gremlins remember episode. I said I have 50 episodes that I consider good to great? Yep. Both of Shatner's are in that good to great. Not in my top 25. And yet again, many fans, that's in their top 10. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 of the two, the Gremlin episode uh, is, is, is higher Madison on the list. Madison hated the Gremlin just as much as he hated the Michelin Men. Wow. <laughs> he, he wrote that episode. Did he? And by the way, when Spielberg made Twilight Zone the movie... Mm-hmm. The director, George Miller, from Mad Max, got to direct a remake of that episode. And Matheson, I believe, wrote the screenplay for that episode in the movie. Wow. What do you think of the movie? And the Gremlin is modern 1983 special effects at the time. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. But the one on, the, on, on television is ridiculous. When he's kneeling down on the wing, you can see the vinyl pads. Of his soles, of his feet. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But do you, I mean, I never even, I've never even considered. Yeah, it's still a great episode. Yeah, I've never even considered those limitations in their ability to produce special effects, probably just because of budget. I mean, it has to be budget, right? Um, okay, so this gets into the larger issue. The greatest Twilight and episodes were not dependent on special effects right. like we expect most things to be. The greatest Fonson episodes are about the mind, about what goes on in your imagination. You know, I mentioned the time travel episode, Walking Distance. 
We expect characters in movies and TV shows when they go back in time. You know the cliche of the screen getting wavy? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Some special effect. Ooh, we're going back in time. Well, they don't do that in walking distance. Right. The director frames the actor Gig Young in the mirror at a gas station while he's getting his car filled with gas. And he asks the attendant, isn't that Homewood up ahead? And the guy goes, yeah. He goes, you know, I grew up there 25 years ago. And he goes, that's walking distance, right? And he goes, yeah. So while the guy's fixing his car, Gig Young walks a mile or so to his hometown. And the way the director films it, JV, is that he films his reflection walking into the distance. And then the camera, almost like an Orson Welles, Steven Spielberg type move, moves into the reflection. It's very Alice through the looking glass. Hmm. Follow me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No special. He literally walks back in time without any special effects. That's creative direction. Right. And that's what made the Twilight Zone great. And I agree. You know, the Outer Limits became the monster of the week type science yeah. fiction. Right. They called it the bear. Every episode had to have a bear. You know, listen, the Outer Limits, yeah, we all love it. You know, the opening, you are not in control of the TV set. But the monsters were ridiculous looking. Are you kidding me? They're pathetic looking. And I know Outer Limits fans listening in are probably canceling, you know, their subscriptions with you right now. But sorry, <laughs> the Twilight Zone, whenever it tried to do, you know, special effecty monsters, usually fell on its face. And even in these great episodes, the invaders and Nightmare 20,000 Feet, the weakest part of the episodes are, in a sense, the special effects. Yeah. And yet, both are still great episodes. And I think they're what I call, they're like diamonds with flaws. Some of the greatest episodes that are in my top 25, they, they all have flaws in them. You know, like I love the early Connery Bond movies, but each one of the early Bond movies all have flaws. They're not perfect films. You know, The Graduate by Mike Nichols is a perfect film mm-hmm. from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Every line, every cam, you know, they're ve- Citizen Kane is a perfect film. 2001, you know, yep. the greatest films are have a perfection to them. I can't say that about the first four Connery Bonds, even though when I, I, and I did a webinar on them. But my point is, so many of the great Twilight episodes are like Diamonds was. And that's okay. You know, I forgive them. They're sure. not perfect. It's hard to be perfect. It's like a gymnast, you know, before Olga Corbett or Nadia Comaneci, nobody ever was given a 10. You like how I can swing from one <laughs> you're, thing you're, to the other? You're masterful, Arlen, masterful. As I pat myself on the back. <laughs> I'm like the Dennis Miller of connections, <laughs> except mine are not so esoteric as his. Oh, I can't keep up with Dennis Miller when he goes off. Um, okay, but my point is I try not to be as esoteric as him. And you're doing But your... as you can see, I can go from the sacred to the profane or from <laughs> Twilight Zone to Nadia Comaneci yes. <laughs> getting a perfect 10 in the 1970 or whatever it was, Olympics. 
I have uh, uh, I have a lot of problems with all of the efforts to remake, reboot, redo they, Twilight they've Zone. They've all sucked. They've and, all sucked. And part of my criticism of of them, and there are many criticisms, but part yes, of it yes. is is exactly what we're talking about now. They would try to quote unquote fix the effects or fix you know something or add more effects, and and they they. They forgot about the importance in what I think is the strength of Twilight Zone, which was the storytelling, and of it became it became a spectacle instead of a story in many cases. Right. I mean, it's kind of a blanket criticism, but well, um, I think that was also, part of it. They sh- in color, they misunderstand the whole point right, of right. the black and white. Right. You know, you know, the Twilight Zone was a black and white concept, the middle ground between light and shadow. You know, J.P., there's this great story that I found out from George Clemens, the director of photography, won an Emmy. I interviewed him in his trailer home in the you know, late 80s, and I'm sure he passed away you know, in the 90s sometime. But he was an old Hollywood craftsman. Not, they would never call themselves artists. We judge them as great artists, right. but they think of themselves as craftsmen. Clemens came out of retirement in 59 to do the Twizer. Remember I told you? Great talent. The minute yeah. they heard Rod Serling... Mm-hmm. He had done he had done the transformation effects and the lighting I think to Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde in 1939, 20 years earlier. Wow. The point is, is there was pressure on Serling early on in the Twilight Zone, according to Clemens, to turn the Twilight Zone into a color show. Now, color TV didn't really come in till really the Batman TV show, mm-hmm. up to and including the '65 season. Most shows were shot in black and white. Mm-hmm. Batman changed it all, but. If Clemens is correct, there must have been pressure on Serling, maybe because Twilight Zone could have been seen as a guinea pig. Remember I told you that low rating? Yep. Maybe CBS was told, listen, turn one of your shows into color so we can see if it gets ratings. Maybe they said, well, give, give it to the Twilight Zone, you know? When Clemens found out that they wanted to turn the Twilight Zone to color, he protested vehemently to Serling. He said, we can't give you what we feel is the Twilight Zone feeling in color like we can in black and white. Now, JV, that are, those are the words of an artist because he understood that the Twilight Zone itself, the feeling, was a black and white feeling. That's why film noir is black and white. If they were shot in color, they yeah. would not be film noir. That's right. Because film noir was about black and white concepts of good and evil, mm-hmm. of people having to decide, am I going to act good or am I going to act evil? Film noir is noir because it's meant to be black and white. The Twilight Zone is a black and white, gray concept. People in the gray deciding between life and death, between the past and the future, between good and evil. That's what the Twilight Zone episodes are about. That is a black and white concept. And every single remake, starting with Spielberg's horrible movie, has been shot in color. Yeah. So they miss the point right off the bat. And yet, and there's this, there's this prevailing attitude in Hollywood that the young people will <laughs> reject black and white. It's all about the young people. Right. Oh, you know... You tell me, J.V., if a young person was told there's this incredible TV show with these incredible stories that are going to blow your mind, 
oh, but by the way, it's shot in black and white. Do you honestly believe people, young people, will not watch it because they were told it was black and white? Yeah, that, that's, that's a silly concept. But guess what? That's what Hollywood thinks. Yeah. So every remake has been shot in color. And that's the least of, uh, of, of, of why they suck. That's then we right. get to the actual stories and everything else. That's right. So, you know, I'd rather spend our valuable time, JV, talking about the great stuff than the lousy stuff. So our, our friend Terry in, in our chat room, one of our faithful chatters here, asked about the stopwatch episode. I, sadly, I don't know the titles of all the episodes. So, um, it's I'm called not a sure. kind of stopwatch, and I don't like it. It's, it's in one of my bottom 156. What's what, what's the story here? Because I don't. It's not coming to a me. A guy gets a magic stopwatch that can stop time, oh, okay. and make everybody freeze in place. Mm-hmm. So he's a small time businessman, and of course he robs a bank. And then at the end, the stop. Spoiler alert: the stopwatch uh, slips out of his hand and it breaks. And now the world ends in a sense where everybody's frozen except him. Right. Right. You know, to me, it's one of the bottom one and six. But again, everybody, to some people, maybe Terry, they love that episode. Is, is this kind of like, uh, you know, where where were you when Kennedy was shot? You know, what what episode impacted you when you were a child? I mean, everybody's got one, right? Well, like I said, I think if you ask people, more people will tell you that I, the beholder with those pig faces. Mm-hmm. The reason why they were so memorable is one of the keys to understanding why the Twilight Zone was great, is that those masks by the makeup artist William Tuttle ride the line between comedy and horror. When you look at them, they, at first they kind of look goofy. They look yeah, funny. Yeah. But at the same time, you realize they're also horrible looking. Yeah. They're scary. But they're also goofy. How can that be? You know, the classic thing when people laugh nervously, when they're scared, Mm -hmm. they laugh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you know how hard it is creatively to ride the line between comedy and horror? You know how hard that line is? It's like a thin tightrope. Right. Guess what? Why is that episode great? It's because those masks ride that line. Yeah. That's why they're so memorable. Today's special effects are all drippy and gooey and overdone and overbaked, and, you know, that's what people like. But the Twilight Zone was subtle. You know? There's a Lee Marvin episode called Steel where he plays a boxer in the future where boxing is done by robots. Well, he's the manager of this robot boxer, but the robot breaks down. So Lee Marvin has to make himself up to look like a robot and step into the ring with a real robot fighter because he needs the money for the, for the bout. Mm-hmm. And he gets the SHIT kicked out of him mm-hmm. by the robot. Mm-hmm. But when you see the, the face of the robot, it rides the, it's another William Tuttle mask. It rides the line between he kind of looks like a human being, but he also doesn't. He's got these dead black eyes like a shark, you know, like the way Robert Shaw describes the shark 
in, in Jaws. Jaws. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got black eyes, like a doll's eyes. You know, dead. Mm-hmm. That's the eyes of this of this actor playing the robot on this Twilight Zone episode. And it's just another example of why the Twilight Zone is, you know, why it elicits that reaction because it's so creatively well done. Our chatter, Claudia, asks about, and she doesn't have the title of this one, but the one where the family fled from Mars to Earth. Okay, so I've been lecturing on Twilight Zone for literally decades. If I told you, J.B., after all of my live lectures, somebody would come up to me and describe an episode that sounds like a Twilight Zone episode, but it turns out they're describing an Alfred Hitchcock or One Step Beyond. Mm -hmm. One of the other shows that were in that era, Bars Karloff, Outer Limits even. The episode that I think she's describing, they don't leave Mars and go to Earth. It's an episode... um, Oh, gee, what's it called? Uh, I can't remember the title right now. Um, but it's about people being on the brink. We're losing you and, again. Arlen, we're losing you a little bit. I'm sorry. Just breaking up a little bit there. Okay, are we back better now? Now you are, yes. Okay, I guess I got I'm going to stay here. So it's all about the feeling that the bomb's going to drop any minute. Mm-hmm. And this was the feeling, this episode aired two years before the Cuban Missile Crisis. And if you read accounts of what it was like to go through those two weeks in October, where everybody in America literally thought the world was going to end, and they were making preparations for the end. Right. This episode is prescient. It was ahead of its time by two years. And it's about a family where the father's a scientist working for the government in, in you know, weapons manufacturing, and they know the bomb is about to drop. And there's an experimental spaceship that they're going to plot to take, you know, against the law and fly to another planet and escape nuclear Armageddon. And this was the episodes that Stephen King wrote about in Dance Macabre. It aired in January of 1960. Talk about kicking off the decade. Yeah. And he says this was the episode that that was the first one that blew our minds and changed our lives. Because when you get to the end of the episode, they successfully spoiled the spaceship off the ground. And they're flying to the planet. The one they just left. And it, and one of the guys, you know, it's two different families um, and their children that get into the spaceship at the end, and they see the planet on their view screen, and they go, "So what's it called?" Or, you know, mm-hmm. what tells about this? He goes, "Well, it's third from their son, and it's just like our environment. Uh, the people there speak a language similar to ours. They call it Earth." <laughs> so you see the juxtaposition, you know, yeah. the whole yep. Surprise ending. Right. Um, th- At all along, we thought we were on Earth, and, it tur- and that's, again, you can find that type of story in some EC science fiction comic book in the early 50s that, you know, Serling, you know, probably read. But I think Third from the Sun is a Matheson short story that Serling adapted mm-hmm. for Twilight Zone. 
Um, the episodes are coming fast and furious in our chat room now. We're not going to get to them yes. all. Um, but, tell uh, all these people in the chat room, they better come to my <laughs> webinar. Yeah, t- tell, tell us about the webinar before we continue here. Go ahead. Yeah, it's called The Twilight Zone Ahead of Its Time. I, my partner is the New York Adventure Club, so their website, very easy, nyadventureclub.com. But it's next Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's, it's almost a three-hour webinar where I show um, somewhere around 15 different episode clips about how these episodes about isolation, loneliness, solitude, post-apocalyptic cities, uh, you know, deserted cities, it's all things that we're going through right now, 60 years later. And I call it Twilight Zone ahead of its time because some of the dialogue you're going to hear from some of these characters sounds like it could have been, you know, written today based on what people are going through with this pandemic and the protests and everything. That's the definition of art. It was both of its time and it's timeless. And that's what I attempt to show in this webinar. I show still images that that basically lead you into each episode clip, sets the context, sets the scene. And then I have still images that segue from one episode clip to the other. And I promise you, even if you know the Twilight Zone like the back of your hand, I'm going to show it to you and tell it to you in a way that will even make the most hardcore Twilight Zone aficionado, I think, come away with a new perspective on the series itself. And for the more younger and the newbies, I'm going to blow your mind. Arlen, do you need a subscription or anything to be able to participate? No, it's a $10 ticket. And here's the thing with webinars that a lot of people don't understand. They think if they can't watch it live, why should they buy a ticket Mm -hmm. if they can't see it live so they don't buy a ticket? Buying a ticket with New York Adventure Club allows you to see the webinar, a, a recording of the live webinar, for up to a week afterwards, anytime you want. And it's like being there live. I mean, I'm doing the webinar live in the moment, but they're recording it. So when you go to watch it a day later, it's kind of like a podcast. It, it, it feels live for you in the moment. Obviously, you can't interact on the chat board because you're watching a recording, the original chat board. Right. But, um, you know, that's the good thing about it. And I know $10, everybody expects everything on the Internet to be free. But listen, double your money back if not satisfied. There you go. NYAdventureClub.com is really all you need to know. You know, my website, obviously, my blog page on my website has all the same links. I mean, you know, come to my Facebook page, friend me. You know, I post all of this stuff. But NYAdventureClub.com is really all you need to know to get a ticket for next week. Our good friend Doug in our chat room wants to know your thoughts on uh, 30 Fathom Grave. Horrible. That's one of the one hours that are unwatchable. You know what I would do with these one hours that are unwatchable? And by the way, I would do this with the entire three season, uh, two seasons of Outer Limits, too. I would love to have the money to hand all of these one hours to a professional television editor. Mm-hmm with the dictum of editing them down to half hours. And I guarantee you, all of them would be more watchable as half hours. There's only two one-hour episodes. One's called Death Ship, written by Matheson, and one's called On Thursday We Leave for Home, written by Serling. 
I think are worthy of the one-hour form. All the others are bloated, overwritten, a lot of talking heads. And by the way, I feel the same thing with every Outer Limits. There's something about that half-hour dramatic form for the, you know, only Star Trek really was able to pull off the one-hours. Yeah. The Prisoner episodes are one-hours. Very few shows can really pull off the fantasy science fiction thing in an hour. You mentioned this episode uh, earlier, so I, I think it probably ranks higher than the one we just spoke about. But what about The Howling Man? Chris wants to know. Okay, that is so many aficionados' favorite or top five, top ten episodes. Guess what? It's, it's another one in my, I don't know, bottom 156, but I don't even know if it's in my 50 good to great television. Really? It's okay. You know, directed by Douglas Hayes, remember? One of the great directors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got the Dutch angle tilt. It's got, you know, again, a good surprise ending that it turns out, spoiler alert, he is the devil. And people love the transformation at the end. The bad guy goes from being in, you know, prison clothes and he becomes the devil. I know why people like it. Um, it's just not one of my, like I said, it's. That shows you how good the Twilight Zone is. Yeah, well, that's the that thing. That episode that some people love doesn't even make it into my top 75. What is the name of the episode? Um, I'm trying to remember. Is the actor is the character named Billy or the actor named Billy? Um, I think it's the character's named Billy and the family is deadly afraid of him. Hey, classic episode called It's a Good Life. It's a and Good it's Life. it's Billy Moomy, the actor. Right, okay. Boy, the child actor that later was on Lost in Space. That's right. Remember Will Robinson, Danger, yeah. Will yeah. Robinson. He was Will Robinson. Now he's on Facebook. I think we're even Facebook friends, maybe. The point is, is he plays a kid with supernatural powers to send people, quote, into the cornfield, mm-hmm. and he could read their minds. And he shuts the town down. It's again, I show this in my webinar next week. He self isolates and socially distances his immediate family and neighbors. He turns off the electricity in the entire town. He isolates it from the rest of the country. And he controls everything. And if, by the way, if this sounds like our current administration in Washington, guess what? I, I, I show memes in my webinar next week where a New York Times writer says living in the Trump zone. <laughs> and he uses an image from It's a Good Life because all the adults are so deathly afraid of him, but they all have to be nice to him. <laughs> and they all prance around him and dote on him, and they can only think good thoughts about him because he can read their minds. Like that, yeah. The um, last I said that was going to be the last episode I brought up, but uh, Slacktastical in our chat room mentioned Next Stop Willoughby. I just watched that one the other night too, and um, that's a good one. Where's that on your list? Okay, so Willoughby is in my maybe right on the edge of top twenty-five, but it's another. It's the bookend episode to Walking Distance, mm-hmm. which is about a 35-year-old businessman that wants to get away from the rat race right. and go back in time when things are simpler. So the sister episode, also in the first season of Twilight Zone, is Willoughby, 
And it's about a harried 35-year-old businessman, another surling doppelganger, who is commuting from Westport, Connecticut, by the way, where I live now, into New York City every day, which is Serling lived in Westport in the 50s, commuting into New York City to do those 90-minute television playwright, you know, shows that won him the Emmys. And I do a lecture called Westport in the Twilight Zone, where I show JV how many of his greatest episodes, like Willoughby, are about the dark underbelly of early 60s suburbia in America, which, again, would be very prescient to what happened later in the 60s with the whole rejection of materialism, counterculture, rebelling against, you know, its parents who were trying to provide them with these material comforts. Well, Willoughby is all about that because Serling writes himself as this sensitive, in a sense, artist having to go on this materialistic rat race to keep making the money for his materialist shrew of a wife that he comes home to every day in that episode. And all he wants to do is escape from that life. And when he's on the train, he dozes off and he wakes up, and all of a sudden he's back in the 1890s on an 1890s train car, Mm -hmm. And outside is this Courier and Ives meets Grant Wood, uh, you know, Rockwellian landscape of his dreams. But he doesn't get off in the beginning of the episode. And then it shows him dealing with this rat race life. It was like an episode of Mad. I mean, this was Mad Men in a way. Mm-hmm. He's a Madison Avenue, you know, it's a push business, Williams. Push, push all the time, <laughs> right. right on down the line. <laughs> Now, you're ready for the real Twilight aspect of the story. Remember I told you I live in Westport? Yep. What if I told you, here I am, the son certainly never had, the guy doing these Twilight Zone artworks and homage to this great show. What are the odds that I would wind up living in Westport, commuting into the city, married to a materialist shrew of a wife? And what if I told you I live that Willoughby episode? <laughs> you know, on the episode, you can hear the conductor go, next stop, Westport, Samogatuck. Yeah. These are stops on the train line here into Grand Central Station. What if I told you that I lived that Willoughby episode without even realizing it at the time? Wow. And what happens at the end of the episode? Spoiler alert. Yeah. He finally steps off the train. Mm-hmm and joins this, like, Huckleberry Finn kid with his, you know, fishing pole, and they walk off into the sunset of Willoughby. And then what happens? Do you remember the ending of Willoughby? Yeah, I do. I do. They find him lying next to the tracks. D- dead on the ground. Dead on the ground. And, you know, it's That's not right. a beautiful right. summer day. It's, it's in the middle of winter. Yep. And the conductor says to the police, you know, he says, what happened? And the conductor goes, he just jumped. I don't know. The guy got up, yelled something about Willoughby, and jumped off the train. Yeah. And then they put his body into the um, funeral hearse, and That's it says right. Willoughby and Son That's funeral. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so what's the bottom line? He basically was surling, in a sense, stepping off that train, saying, "I can't take it anymore." Well, what if I told you I lived that episode, and the difference is, I stepped off that train too, except he succeeded and I didn't. Really? And that's why I'm still. And that's why I'm still here talking to you. Really? 
But I lived that episode, and yet at the time, I was so deep into my misery that here I am, the ultimate Twilight Zone fan, and I didn't even realize I was living the Willoughby episode. Wow. So, again, cue the Twilight Zone music. Yeah, exactly. But I'm telling you, man, that's the truth. Wow. Um, well, you, uh, there, there's been no uh, failure to live up to the promise that we were only going to scratch the surface tonight because we really only have. Um, but before, I cannot let you off the hook without giving us ah. top two, three episodes on your list um, because I'm probably going to say, as you name them, if we haven't already named them tonight, I would probably say, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one, and I forgot about that one. So, Okay, so we've already, I've already named so my eye of the beholder. Yep. Walking Distance is the greatest time travel story ever. I consider the second half of Walking Distance alone, the last 12 minutes of that episode, I call the Citizen Kane of television because everything about it, is operating at 110% creative capacity, just like Citizen Kane. Um, and then there's, I said, Five Characters in Search of an Exit is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I love, from the first season, I love the Mannequins episode from oh. the After Hours. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. love Mirror Image, where the woman sees her double in the bus station. That's that, like yeah. an Edward Hopper painting come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, those are always in the running. Um, again, the first season has an episode called And When the Sky Was Open, uh, which is about the three spacemen who come back and each one vanishes one at a time. Um, that's another brilliant adaptation by Serling of a Matheson story. Uh, remember I said the first season alone has so many brilliant episodes. Yeah. But then there's a great episode from the fifth season called Number 12 Looks Just Like You, which has so many brilliant lines of dialogue, like, you know, you look like you could use a cup of instant smile. Instant smile? Are you kidding me? (laughs) So, uh, you know what I mean? And that's why it's hard to pick a top five. It's hard to pick a top ten. Remember I told you I've got 25 episodes? Yep. That I almost love, because then you go, oh, but what about the hitchhiker with... Inger Stevens, that's such a classic. Mm-hmm. Oh, but then what about, you know, this episode? But how can you leave out this episode? And, and then there's this episode. You know, the dummy with Cliff Robertson from the third season. Mm-hmm. Jerry, a stupid jerk. You put words in my mouth. You made me talk. Are you satisfied from the song of the same name? I mean, the fact that I can recall this yeah, dialogue. Yeah. That's the greatest ventriloquist dummy story ever. You know how many ventriloquist dummy stories there have been in the movies and TV shows? Many. JB? Many? I know. One of yeah. my favorites is the movie Magic with uh, Anthony Hopkins. Okay. But that's in, in my webinar about the Twilight Zone's impact, I show images from these other ventriloquists come to life, uh, dummy episodes come to life. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Guess what? Uh, the Twilight Zone's version, the dummy, mm-hmm. is the greatest of them all, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's one of the great episodes. Um, you know, the more I stop and think about, you know, the episodes I love, but I think I just rattled off at least, oh, one of my greatest, again, from the first season, a Matheson episode, World of Difference. 
in which a businessman goes to make a phone call in his office, and the phone's dead, and he goes to tell his secretary, and he hears somebody yell, cut. Oh, yeah. And he turns to his left, and there's a whole movie crew filming his life. That's right. I just saw that one the the other night, too. To the movie crew, he's an actor who's gone off the deep end who believes he's the character he's playing, a businessman. Mm -hmm. From his point of view, he was a businessman that walked into his office one day, and all of a sudden, his life is like a movie. Right. Now, this predates the whole 60s counterculture, drug-induced, hey, man, life's like a movie. But this was also what surrealism was about, was making people step back from reality and looking at it almost as if you're observing it. The word surreal in French, sur, means on top of, on top of reality. So in my webinar in the Twilight Zone, I show how it's the middle between surrealism that preceded it. And then, like, you know how you mentioned, J.V., when something weird happens, people hum the Twilight Zone theme? Yep. Mm-hmm. They're acknowledging when something like that happens, something's happened in your life to make you jump back, to step back, to look at it, like, almost from a fresh perspective. That you were acknowledging a moment of surrealist experience that the original surrealists wanted people to do. And they would have, could they have looked into a crystal ball in 1929, 30 years, they would have accepted Serling as one of their own. And at the same time, it influenced the 60s psychedelic generation that followed, in which life is like a movie, man. But you can see that in this Twilight Zone episode. It's one of what I call the foundation concepts of the Twilight Zone. And look at the philosophical issues that episode raises. Do we live in a predestined universe? It gets into questions of philosophy, religion. Mm -hmm. Are we acting out of script, or do we have free will? And all of this is in 25 minutes. Yep. On an American television show that was buffeted and blanketed by Westerns. And in the middle of that, of that wasteland comes an episode that makes you question the nature of your own reality. Uh, you like how I raised my voice? I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Um, Arlen, are we, gonna talk, are we going to be talking about the Twilight Zone in 50 years? Maybe not you and me, but in general? Yeah. Oh, well, listen, that is the definition of art. Does it stand the test of time? All of these Twilight Zone great episodes deal with universal timeless themes. The fact that we're talking about them 60 years tells me we'll be talking about them 600 years. Yeah. Just like we talk about Shakespeare's great plays and things like that. In the end, the play is the thing. Twilight Zone in the end, I think Earl Hamner, the writer who ended up creating the Waltons, he was one of the original Twilight Zone writers. Serling gave him his break in Hollywood. He wrote about eight episodes. They're not my favorites, one or two of them I like. The point is, is when he was asked, why does the Twilight Zone have this longevity? He says, in the end, they're great stories well told. Yeah. That's really. And in the end, that's what they are. Mm-hmm. They were well told for the television medium. They're definitive television shows. In the same way Phil Spector's Be My Baby is a definitive three-minute hit single. It's not an album. It's a single. 
but it's the song that Brian Wilson tried rewriting the rest of his life. Yeah. Those episodes, the half-hour length, are like the hit singles of television history. And they've never been duplicated or bettered. And that's what I honor with all of my Twilight Zone works. And like I said, I'll be choosing episodes specifically next week to discuss the themes of isolation, loneliness, and solitude, reflective of what we're all going through. But like I said, I can do a webinar on religion in the Twilight Zone. I can do a webinar on marriage in the Twilight mm-hmm. Zone. And these are all things I might do in the future because the Twilight Zone tackled all the major issues in its episodes. That's what makes it art, and that's why we will be talking about it forever, like the way we talk about any great stories, great movies, great books, great legends, great myths. We'll be talking Twilight Zone. We didn't get to talk about comic books tonight or comic book art. We didn't get to talk uh, about Bruce Arlen Springsteen. Schumer Part 2, Arlen Schumer Part 3. We are definitely doing that. I want you to take a minute, though, before I let you go, because we actually went over yeah. time tonight, which is perfectly fine, and actually it was time well spent. But I want you to take a minute, again, let people know about the webinar coming up, how they can participate in that, find your books, and anything else you've got going on. Okay, so everything is linked from my website, which is my name, arlenschumer.com. Make sure you spell it right, A-R-L-E-N, like in Norman, S-C-H-U-M, like in Marvin, E-R. And there's a blog page on my website that has all my current events, webinars, things like that. It's got my Twilight Zone work, my Bruce Springsteen works, my comic history works, all of my illustration. It's also linked to my merchandise site, popcultureman.com. It's also linked to my book site where I sell hardcover copies of my book on comic book art history called The Silver Age of Comic Book Art, which is basically the 1960s. And if you order the book through me, I get to sign it and sketch in it for you, make it personal. Um, And then there's the New York Adventure Club's website, which is very simple, nyadventureclub.com, which is where I do all my webinars, like next week's Twilight Zone webinar which is a week from tonight, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's going to run almost three hours. So get ready for an evening, kind of like a documentary film about the Twilight Zone being made in real time as a webinar is one way I can describe what I do. And like I said, even if you can't see it live, buying a $10 ticket to it allows you to watch a recording of the webinar for an entire week afterwards, anytime you want. So, uh, you know, I can't stress that enough because a lot of people think if they can't make the webinar live, they won't buy a ticket. So that's really pretty much uh, everything. And like I said, I'm on Facebook. I don't, I'm on Instagram and I don't make up pseudonyms. I'm basically Arlen Schumer everywhere. It shouldn't be hard to find me. I have most interaction with fans on my Facebook page. Uh, there's something about the interaction there that I don't find on Instagram or on Tumblr or on even on Twitter. I know everybody's on Twitter, but uh, I got more to say than 140 <laughs> characters. Sorry. Um, well, we got... You can at least tell by these yeah. run-on sentences <laughs> I've been giving you. You think I've been reading off a teleprompter, JV? Uh, no, no. I can tell this stuff is is there and it's present, and, and you In say the moment, it well. Baby, That's right. It's That's all right. in my head. That's when right. I do a webinar, you think I got notes? No notes. No notes, baby. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we don't need no stinking notes. 
Arlen, it's been fantastic. Uh, this discussion is not only uh, interesting, but it's inspired me. So I know what I'm doing tonight. I have some homework you've assigned. I'm going to do that too. I'm going to rewatch 2001. It's been years since I've seen it. And uh, wow, I, I envy you, man. And do you have a good system? Do you have a big screen? I do. You yeah. got the surround sound and all that? Yeah, I do. I do. Yes. Let me tell you something. Prepare the evening. Make it special. You know, turn off the phone. Try to duplicate your home theater environment as close to a big screen movie as you can make it. And if you need any kind of substances, if you know what I mean, <laughs> indulge in that and then get ready to watch the greatest movie ever made. I'm looking and promise me you'll reach out to me. And let me know if you do what I say, if it lives up to the hype. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely will. And, and, and it won't be long before we have you back on. I re- and you said... The, the, you've got the webinar. You mentioned something about October. Is the one you're talking about now in October? That's next okay, week, you no, said. Okay, no, no. So next week's is called The Twilight Zone Ahead of Its Time. Yeah. And it's specifically, you know, the original title was The Twilight Zone in the Age of Corona, but New York Adventure Club thought that was a little harsh. Mm-hmm. But that's really what it is. But October 2nd is the exact anniversary of The Twilight Zone. And this year, it, apps, it happens also on a Friday, like it did in 1959, October 2nd. So on that night, which is a Friday, I will be doing a Twilight Zone webinar that's more what I call my general Twilight Zone lecture, which sort of shows the influence from surrealism and how it then influenced television, movies, modern art, and popular culture. And I show it through a combination of Twilight Zone images, clips, and images from wider pop culture to make my points so that's going to be later in october okay october 2nd all right what we'll try to do next week is uh thursday night the 27th eight o'clock p.m eastern standard time the twilight zone ahead of its time aka the twilight zone the age of corona okay um what we'll try to do is get you on before the october uh, webinar. Uh, we won't talk. I haven't as... even told you the rest of what I'm doing in September. I'm oh, doing Jews and comics. Oh, I'm doing Bruce Springsteen's greatest show. I'm doing my Roy Lichtenstein debut. I'm going to take on all the Roy Lichtenstein haters. Oh, wow. And I'm going to do the ultimate Roy Lichtenstein webinar. And then I'm doing the 60th anniversary of the Flintstones oh, on September 30th. Wow. Um, all right. Hello. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Slick. Why do you think I call myself pop culture man? <laughs> Slick Eddie's going to have to work out some stuff with you because uh, everything you just said is something we're going to want to talk about. So uh, this is what I'm telling you, man. Yeah, yeah. You might have to make me a regular feature somehow. It's starting like to, this week with Arlen Schumer. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. It's starting to sound like that might, might, might be necessary. Um, <laughs> I, listen, I can dream. Can I? This week with Arlen Schumer. Arlen, what are you up to this week? Yeah. Okay. How about that? Love it. I love it. Arlen, thank you so much for being here tonight and staying JB, extra time. For ha- Listen, I hope it was as good for you as it was for me. It was, a, it was fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for the amount of time and being such a really enthusiastic interviewer. And, you know, it was really great talking with you, man. Well, thank you. And I, I hope, hope we get to do it again. We absolutely will. Thank you. And uh, I'll, I'll make sure we throw uh, the webinar that you've got coming up next week on our, on our social media and stuff. So the word will get out as well for our audience. So, but again, thanks you for being here. It, man. We will talk again soon. Promise. Okay. Thanks for everything, JV. I look forward to it. You've been listening to part two of two of my interview with Arlen Schumer. Be sure to listen to part one.
Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.